Welcome to Miss Lyrics Poetry Outlaws, a show about all things poetry. I'm your host, Catherine Owen. Good morning, Poetry Outlaws, and welcome to another homage. This one is on the great Canadian poet Earl Burney, who was born in 1904 and died in 1995. Unfortunately, he'd had a heart attack or stroke, I don't recall which, but it definitely disabled him for a considerable period of years. I think it happened to him in 1987 and he died in 1995. So we're talking, you know, seven, eight years or more that he was um, in a basically a fugue state. He, He was unable to talk and he was in a care home at um, his his wife, his partner, Wylan Lowe, was taking care of him. Uh, but I don't think he saw anybody. I don't know if anybody saw him, but I remember Joe Rosenblatt saying to me, and I, of course I had issues with this, that he'd never gone to visit him since he'd had that debilitating attack because, you know, he he knew that he wouldn't have been recognized and that also, you know, he didn't want to see something so depressing. And of course, this, you know, Earl Burney was, you know, not only a, a fabulous poet who wrote some incredibly enduring pieces, but he was also, you know, a, a, a tall, uh, you know, slender, but yet strapping man who climbed mountains and rode horses. Um, according to his bio in the uh, University of Toronto that was written actually by Wylan Lowe, he hunted fossils, he cut trails, he wanted to be a packer and guide in the Rockies. Uh, He worked as an axeman and a rodman on a survey crew. He worked on a tramp freighter and he uh, went to Norway to meet with Trotsky. He was arrested by the Gestapo for failing to salute a Nazi parade. Uh, So, you know, just those are just a few things that Earl Burney did uh, other than writing poetry and and teaching and being part of the, the Marxist party. And so he he was an all-around character full of an immense amount of of energy and vivacity and life spirit. So, of course, the thought of him lingering that long, I mean, I'm personally opposed to that. Um, I wish he'd gone out in the flames that he was. But nonetheless, that was his end of life. Uh, So in the 20s and 30s, uh, he got his master's degree. Uh, he went to uh, do his doctorate. Then when he came back from, from London and, and Norway, he finished his doctorate at U of T. And then he married um, Esther Bull, who was a fellow Marxist, and they had one son, Bill, who was born in 1941. So um, Esther, so I never met Earl uh, he, uh, you know, I was far too young at the time to have known him. Uh, my ex-husband, Chad Norman, he did meet Earl. I believe that he attended some kind of a workshop with him. I recall him telling me that the workshop was in some kindergarten class or something. So he had to sit, he and Earl, who was very tall, had to sit on these tiny chairs while they talked poetry and he definitely had an impact on him as a life force. I, of course, I didn't meet him. I was a lot younger. 
but I did meet Esther Burney, who had been long divorced from Earl, but was still impacted, of course, by their long, you know, marriage and the fact they had a son together and their politics that they shared. And she sure was a character. Uh, I remember seeing her. I think she was living by Granville Island and we went for tea and, and she served us very stale cookies and was pugnacious and vivacious and really forceful. And she talked about reading Trilope in the in the bathroom. I remember being impressed by that, seeing his large tomes above the toilet. And also she looked at Chad and she looked at me and she said, she's going to leave you. This was probably in the first, you know, year or 18 months of our relationship. And uh, I thought, well, that that's a really, you know, gutsy thing to say to a couple who are recently together or any couple at all. But she was essentially saying, you know, she's younger than you, you know, you're her mentor now, but she will go her separate ways at a certain point. And indeed, she was incredibly prescient. So onwards through this bio written by Wylan. So in 1942, Ryerson Press published David and Other Poems, which won him his first GG. And then he went into the army and he got diphtheria. So he went to work in Montreal for CBC's International Service. Then he went. So yeah, he actually was born in in Calgary when it was part of the Northwest Territories, um, as was Edmonton. And he grew up in uh, Alberta, so I'd forgotten about that because I always think of Earl as is a Vancouver poet. Um, you know, based on his poem "Vancouver Lights" and the fact that he taught at UBC, and so he started teaching there in in 1946. And he had an extremely active couple of decades then where he wrote a whole bunch of books of poetry. He wrote the black comic novel Turvey. He wrote a play called The Damnation of Vancouver. And then in 1965, he left UBC and went to U of T to be a writer in residence, the first one there. Then 65 uh, onward, he produced The Rag and Bone Shop, The Bear in the Delhi Road, Ghost in the Wheels, Last Makings. And then he has the wonderful collected poems of Earl Burney. Uh, Wyland says he did not stop traveling or climbing as he got older and older, and he did not stop working until he was felled by illness. Her last sentences are, Earl both climbed and was a mountain. He cast a very long shadow and he was central in shaping modern Canadian literature. Most of all, he had a gift for friendship that he liberally shared. Yes. And there is uh, a few quotes about him in the, the Poetry Foundation page. A lot of them are very... Um, uh, provincial and um, anti-Canadian in a weird way. Like we can't claim that Bernie was a great poet unless we say, well, he wasn't just a Canadian poet. That's a particular stance from that era uh, where he could only be great if he's got international uh, flavors and um, intellectual leanings that were more towards the empire. But this quote from A.J.M. Smith uh, on Selected Poems, 1940 to 1966, offered this summation of Bernie's contributions to Canadian literature. He says, Bernie is one of our major poets, perhaps since the death of E.J. Pratt, our leading poet, who I doubt very few people read anymore. Uh, certainly he is the only rival of Pratt as the creator of a heroic narrative on a bold scale. You think back to his epic poem, David, which... 
uh, along with the poem I'm going to read uh, from the Hazel Bough and Vancouver Lights and also Bushed. Bushed was a was a poem that I, I read when I was very young and then I ended up teaching at SFU a number of times. But David is one of those pieces that will stick in your mind forever of, of two boys climbing a mountain and one of them falls or, you know, was he pushed? Did he need to be pushed to his death to stop his suffering? It's it's definitely an amazing poem, well worth multiple rereads. But Bernie was also very consistently experimental, according to uh, A.J.M. Smith, and he was. He he tried all kinds of things. He loved sound poetry. He loved play with language. Uh, I, I couldn't find one of the videos of him reading, but I remember maybe it was part of a documentary or something. I saw it years ago. And he had a very lilting way of reciting, very, very uh, childlike and, and joyous. And, you know, um, Smith says he has not always been successful and he has sometimes aped styles and fashions that are unworthy of his real talents. Well, you know, that is subjective, of course, but essentially Bernie saw great value in play and trying new things and, you know, not becoming ever fixated in one particular mode. So as Smith goes on, he says, without a somewhat boyish spirit of adventure, his successes would have been impossible too. precisely that boyish spirit of adventure that led him to travel around the world and climb mountains uh, also led him to try many experimental forms. So he says the triumph of selected poems that it demonstrates a unified personality of great charm, wit, strength and generosity. And as Bernie himself commented at the end of his book, this is another fun read, The Cow Jumped Over the Moon, The Writing and Reading of Poetry, none of us wants merely to live but to affirm life. We all need the therapy of fancy and play, honest emotion, pity, laughter, joy, especially the joy that comes when the words move someone else from mere living to being alive, alive, oh, And indeed, in 1999, when, as I've mentioned in some previous uh, episodes of this podcast, we had the Earl Burney tribute, which was organized by Chad. He was very good at doing those types of things. And it was at the Havana uh, restaurant and theater on Commercial Drive. And yeah, we did have out uh, Miriam Waddington and Jamie Reed. And uh, Al Purdy was supposed to come out, but he was too ill at the time. And I remember most of all Phyllis Webb doing a reading from everybody read one of Bernie's poems and her utterly husky, velvety voice reciting that piece. And and just how wonderful it was. Wyland was there. There was a, just a terrific gathering of, of warmth and energy and people eating and drinking and, and reminiscing about Bernie's life and his impact on their own poetry. So I'm going to finish with one of his probably more anthologized poems along with Bushed uh, from 1977, his book Fall by Fury, put out by McClellan and Stewart. And it's his lovely, again, playful, romantic, slightly melancholic, joyous, full of life poem from The Hazel Bough. I met a lady on a lazy street, hazel eyes and little plush feet, Her legs swam by like lovely trout. Eyes were trees where boys lent out. Hands in the dark and a riverside. 
round breasts rising with the fingers tied. She was plump as a finch and live as a salmon, gay as silk and proud as a Brahmin. We winked when we met and laughed when we parted, never took time to be broken-hearted. But no man sees where the trout lie now or what leans out from the hazel bough. Welcome to Miss Lyric's Poetry Outlaws, a show about all things poetry. I'm your host, Catherine Owen.